Makers, Lily here, and I think the conversation you're about to hear is probably one of my very favorites that we have recorded so far for the podcast. And really, it kind of takes us back to the very first episode in season one. And Millie asked me in that episode if I would ever consider running for public office. And I believe my answer at the time was something to the effect of, hell no. So if that would be your answer as well, I really get it and I really understand. But also strap in because I am warning you that today's episode may well change how you think about that question forever. Uh, We are talking to none other than Ruth McGowan today. Ruth McGowan is an absolute champion of women uh, in public office and public life, of community and of democracy. She has written the literal book on getting elected called Get Elected, and it is a step-by-step guide to running for public office. She has served herself as a mayor and a local councillor in her community. She has served as a coach, trainer, and mentor to thousands of women across the country. She runs workshops with a great organization called Women for Election Australia that is out there in the community right now talking to women from all different walks of life and the people who love and support them, people who identify as women and non-binary about how to put their hand up so that we can expand who gets to have a seat at the table. This conversation is just one that you are going to want to share with your daughters (laughs) and your friends. Uh, It is so inspiring. It is so grounded and real. I loved every second of talking to Ruth. She is incredible. So without any further ado, here's our chat with Ruth McGowan. Welcome to the Remakers podcast, Ruth McGowan. We are so honored to have you here. We have been just a little bit giddy, actually, Millie and I, about getting to chat to you and hear your wisdom this week. So thank you so much for making the time to be with us. It's my absolute pleasure, Lily and Millie. There's nothing that I like better than talking to kick-ass sassy women about politics. (laughs) So bring it on. (laughs) I want that on a (laughs) t-shirt. So Australia Remade has this vision based on meeting with people from all around the country and asking them, imagine you've woken up in the country of your dreams, what is it like? And one of the pillars of that vision is called a new dawn for women. And it talks about women are visible, valued and celebrated with power in parliament and business and the community and the home that life is better because women are just an equal part of decision-making at all sort of levels of society. And I feel like this last election was a real down payment on that vision, actually. It does feel quite transformative. And I think about you and your work and how you've been a champion of that your whole career, you know, that you've served, you've been a local mayor, you've helped other women run for office, you helped your sister become the first independent in Indi taking on a very safe liberal seat at the time. So I guess I'm just curious, what was it like for you watching the election and watching these results come in, did it feel like this crescendo of all of this years of work kind of coming to a surge or a swell? I mean, it's not job done, but it's a real change. Yeah, it is a real change. Uh, For me, like personally watching the election, I was very anxious leading up to it on May the 21st. And frankly, I have not met another woman who wasn't anxious. And I think there's 
an, an inbuilt national gaslighting that we've had for so long that women's voices don't matter, that we're not heard, we're not listened to. And I think we were starting to believe that no one cared about us. You know, I marched in March for Justice. All the, I didn't march in Canberra, but I marched in Melbourne, and the women in Canberra that didn't even have the dignity or respect of the Prime Minister or senior ministers come out and talk to them. So this national gaslighting made us all so anxious that we weren't going to be listened to. So to be honest, I was very anxious that night, but it slowly turned into relief and a bit of excitement. I started up at <laughs> 2 o'clock watching it, seeing what was happening, but I couldn't believe it. So much so a couple of days later I had to watch it all again <laughs> without without the champagne this time and pause it and listen to the speeches. I'm a real political nerd. I love And that. I had to watch it again. And you know what? I bit all my nails off and I had to go and get nails. So look, for the first time I've got nails is a little bit of reward. I did not have any nails and I've never, ever had fake fingernails. And I'll tell you what, they're a pain. How do women deal with this? Oh, look. That's just a funny little story because often it. women that are in politics do I have to look the part? Yeah. And I know so many women mayors that part of that burden of the job that men never have to do is getting the grooming, getting their hair done, getting their makeup done, getting their eyelashes, eyebrows tinted, getting their fingernails done, and that's not tax deductible. So I've gone on a little bit segue there, but I think it's still sinking in that women have got to 39% in parliament. I was looking at some research yesterday and it's, it's a huge leap. We're still not at gender parity and we're still not comparable to a lot of other countries around the world. I mean, we've only had one female prime minister, but we are getting there with the critical mass in local, state and federal. Yeah, absolutely. I love the story about the nails and you're absolutely right. <laughs> Just the time that it takes, you know, the time, the money, not to mention the scrutiny, like it is a it is a huge yep. double standard. Um, it absolutely is. Look, I know you come from a big country family and I think your dad served on the local council. And I wonder, like, did what do you think it was about your upbringing that prepared you for a career in kind of politics and wrestling with power and learning about negotiations? Like, do you think that there was something that was different in the kind of special sauce of the McGowan family that allowed people to feel like, well, yeah, having a say and getting involved and, you know, like having this, that, this is just something that anyone and everyone should be able to do. Or, or yeah, well, it, that's, well, that's interesting because I've, it's only late in my latter years that I've recognized the immense privilege that I grew up with, which is the privilege to have your voice and expect that you're going to be heard. Uh, so, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, my uncles were all mayors, shy presidents, councillors. So there was this, there was a culture of local government and standing up, but it was always the men. So I never thought I'd grow up to be in local government. Um, I was involved in my father when he first ran for local council. He did no door knock, knocking. And in a country area, that was unheard of. So I actually went out with dad and did door knocking. It was highly oh. embarrassing. I was only about 10. <laughs> oh. Even just putting the pamphlet in the mailboxes with my dad's face and it was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I so I got I did my first door knocking then. We grew up in a family. It was a large family, 13 kids, and you were expected to have your say. So as you can imagine, it was a very rowdy dinner table. And 
you only would get heard by being loud and having a good argument. And often we'd take turns and, and have practice debates. So again, that's a privilege. My father was um, educated. My mum was for her time. She didn't go to university, but she did leaving. And in those days, that was uh, quite educated. Um, and we would have robust discussions, but also part of that culture was giving back to your community. So mum was involved in the CWA, the Parents Club, Mother's Club then, the Tuck Shop, Roster, Spinners and Weavers, uh, the course of Catholic Church. Uh, Dad was involved in the VFF, the CFA, and there was a strong culture of giving back to your community. So I guess when the universe... Um, opened up a space for me to run for my local council when it was all men, I thought, well, why not? Why not chuck my hat in the ring and have a crack? Because we also had uh, this strong ethos of standing up for other people and feminism. My mother and father always said you could do whatever you want to do, which, again, is a place of privilege because if you're a woman of colour with a disability, that may not be so. It may, but it, I'm not going to make assumptions. But I was able-bodied from an educated family. I was able to go to university. I was able to have a voice. So immense privilege enabled me to step into that space. You know, what's that saying? To whom, um, you know, what's that saying? People to whom have, much is given, much is expected, that one? That's it, yeah. that one, yes. Yeah. So, like, if not me, then who? If not now, then yeah. when? And yeah. my council was run by nine men. All the executive CEO were all men, so it was 14 men running my local council. I just wow. thought, nah, I'm going to give that one a crack. Wow. And I broke it open. Next time I ran, five of those blokes got kicked out. We had younger men and more women. And our local council, which is quite a large peri-urban council, has never gone back to those days, and it never will. That's amazing. So where did you, like I can, you know, it sounds like an extraordinary family story and I'm thinking about your parents and, you know, raising 13 children and part of all those things and like my mind is boggling. But but you said that in your family it had been the men who'd always been in those sort of overtly political positions. When you saw that your local council needed cracking open, like how did you go from like I need to do something to like yes and I'm going to do it? Like where did you, I imagine it would have taken courage to go in there what pushed you over the line it was to me it was like a project so I got a honours degree in agriculture and a master's degree so it was like an assignment Hmm. and at that stage I was a public servant and I'd reached my level of being a public servant that if I need to go higher I would have had to move to Melbourne which was 100 k's away and I had three kids loving, supporting husband, and they were involved in the discussions as well. So, frankly, I think I was a little bit bored and looking for another challenge. Mm. And often women say that to me when they step up into politics. They don't want to have any regrets. And even the act of running a campaign is such a Mm. uh, learning experience both personally and professionally. So for women that stand for their local council, which is there's 5,500 local council roles around Australia, so it's the easiest one to get into, I suggest look at it like doing a diploma of local government mm-hmm. and a profession, profession, personal leadership course. You analyse so much on a campaign about yourself and your community. So I looked at it as a project and I was put all my skills into it. So I'd done some public speaking. I'd belonged to an organisation called Toastmasters locally. Mm-hmm. 
And there's no better way to test your public speaking than standing up at a candidate's forum. Yeah, yeah And also, absolutely. you know, I'd done a bit of communication. So the, the night I got elected, they had the um, announcement of the candidates and I gave the local journal a press release. And she said, no councillor has ever given me a press release. So I guess the challenge of bringing professionalism to my local council was also like, how could I say no to that? Being a role model for women, I had three kids. I wanted to be a role model for them, um, and for my community. My community said, "Could you, could you think about it, Ruth? We need to shake that up in there." So it was the, a lot of things: my confidence, my skills, my ability, my community, and a problem that needed fixing. So that a part of part of my family culture was: if there's a problem, not, don't wait for someone to fix it. Go in there and fix it yourself. Whether that was a busted trough. <laughs> Or, you know, around the farm that I grew up in, like, fix it up. Go and fix it up. Yeah. And that's That's, probably driving a lot of the women that ran particularly the independents in this I was going to say, yeah, and I'm sure this resonates with so many of them. And you work with so many women who are wanting to run for office at all levels. And, you know, can you tell now when you meet someone who's running as a candidate, can you just tell now from the outset, yep, yep, I think, like, she's got pretty good odds of being successful. You know, she's got this... Are there any telltale signs for you of somebody who's ready to really take that journey and and succeed? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, this word success, because I think even the fact of running as a candidate is success. The fact that you've got out of bed and go, hell yeah, I'm going to put my name down. So come election day, my name is there and I can vote one. I mean, even just saying that's given me goosebumps. Yeah, I can feel it through the screen. Yeah. That feeling of yeah. putting number one next to your name is yeah. an exceptional feeling. So that but is we don't success. talk about that as women. That's like that's not what's supposed to define us as women. You know, we're supposed no. to want someone else's name in there that we support. And like, I can tell you the, the number of women I ask, oh, my husband would be good at that. No, baby, you would be good at that. So yeah. success is running. And it, when I listen to candidates, I go to candidate forums, I watch them online. It's really interesting. You hear a man talk and nine times out of ten they'll talk about themselves mm. you hear a woman talk nine times out of ten she'll talk about her community mm. so mm. the I for men I'm retired I want to give back to the community I worked in the blah 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 women my community want me to run my kids have suggested that I run you listen you can hear all this it's about them, it's about you, it's about we. So as soon as I hear a candidate talking about them, we, us, compared to I, I know they're on a winning, they're on a winning path. Yeah, God, that's so true. And what about the flip side of that? Like what are the barriers kind of internally and externally that are just bigger for women? You know, when, when you're trying to get somebody to kind of cross that line or when they want to, like I imagine there are just a lot of women that go, oh, but I could never. You know, and then there's all the way through to the practical side. Who's going to be there for my kids? Who's going to, you know, especially federal politics where you're expected to spend, you know, half the year away in Canberra if you're, you know, in that position or like there are some big barriers for women to overcome. Well, they are, but I guess I'm not just talking about election. I'm talking the act of running and that's what I'm trying because even the act of running, you can change the agenda. And if you're saying independent running, 
and the major parties have always won it and are likely to win it, you can often change their agenda for your local community and they actually start adopting your policies. And Lysia Heath, who's the CEO of Women for Election Australia, who I partner with to run training all over Australia, she talks about that as an example when she ran as an independent in Wentworth back when Malcolm um, Turnbull caused a by-election when he left the left politics, that she was able to run on a campaign that got her key policies adopted by the um, person that eventually won, the candidate won. So let's, let's, uh, uh, I do want to focus on that even standing is an act of success and most women can stand. So this, I'm breaking it down so it's not so scary. So if you look at, oh, my God, go to Canberra, who's going to look after the kids compared to I'm going to want run a six-month campaign and put myself out there as, as a woman in this all-male candidate electorate, imagine the power you can do for that. And, and the very act of running inspires women that maybe next time you might get there. So, But back, if you do get elected, there Help comes from different areas. So even local government, um, so in Victoria that I'm most familiar with, you get an allowance. So it's anything like around 25 to 30K. It's not great, but it's enough. If you're a mayor, it might be anything from 70 to 120. It's much higher in like Queensland where all councillors and mayors are really well paid. So it's like a job. But also at the same time, you get childcare allowances, you get uh, tools of the trade, a computer, a laptop, a phone, those sort of things, even a car for some uh, for mares. So you do get some resources. I know a woman and she had a couple of kids, little kids, and she said, actually, being a counsellor enabled me to use my childcare allowance to have a nanny at home. And I'd been on a wait list for the local childcare for a year. Huh. That actually was much more beneficial wow. to be a counsellor. Wow. So, again, but what we're hearing is all these but, 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 yeah. what about the toxicity, what about the stuff people say, yeah. what about the online trolling? And I'm very mindful of calling this narrative out because it's it's actually um, feeding into this narrative that politics is toxic and don't play their little girl. I I really love that idea of, you know, winning or success is not necessarily getting elected. And I, I think that's powerful for a couple of reasons. I spoke with Julie Lyford, who is a um, regional councillor and Lord Mayor of a, a council. And she then ran for the Greens, State Greens. And she said to me, oh, I never was going to get elected, but I had a position on that podium and my voice was able to, exactly what you were saying, Ruth, my voice was able to have an impact. And I've loved that example because I'm always haranguing people, particularly women like, are you going to run this election? Have you thought about an election three years? And, you know, the, the reactions are always, I could never win. All the things that you've talked about. And being able to say, yeah, but your voice would be asked for, you know, people would want to hear you on the radio. You don't have to you don't have to win, so don't be afraid of not winning. You know what I mean? I found that a really helpful exactly. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's winning is about perfectionism, whereas you know it's and it's it's not an all or nothing. And back to what you were just saying, Millie, about voice. What a powerful thing it is to hear a woman's voice. And culturally, we're told don't don't stick your head over the trench. Don't be a tall poppy. Who are you? You're showing off all this language, which which impacts 
where where women's voices are heard. Where are they heard? On women's podcasts like this. Some of those crack-ass political journalists, you know, that Laura Tingle, um, you know, National, uh, Kathy Murphy, you know, Gabriel Chan, all these amazing female political journalists do comment. But when you go to talk back, the majority of voices are men. When you when you open up a newspaper, most of the stories are about men written, spoken by men. I mean, recently after that election, all the talk after the 21st for the week or two after was all about the new male leader of the Liberal Party, the new male leader of the Nationals. And I'm like, get out of the way. I want to hear about those women on the crossbench, you know, the ones that have got little kids that are that are managing to be ministers, like Annika Wells, who's got three under three, amazing um, woman from Queensland, uh, Christy McBain, amazing ex-mayor from Bega. You know, again, got kids. Tell me those women's stories. I don't care about Peter Dutton or Little Proud. I want to hear those women's stories, journos. Go and go and interview them, please, for your podcast next time. <laughs>
lowering others. But we're starting to build this critical mass of women in public office. So it's not just the one mayor you knew when I was growing up, one woman. It's actually lots of women, young women, older women, women of colour, queer women. We're starting to see a rise of a critical mass of women. And I'm so excited about the future of our country where it becomes unremarkable for a woman to be in office. Remarkable women, but unremarkable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we, I, you know, I've got a young daughter and I just, I want her to grow up in that Australia where she, well, of course, like, yeah, why would you even notice that? Yeah, and um, there's some great uh, initiatives. So uh, Politics in Colour by Kat Henway is, is supporting women in colour to stand for office. Rainbow Local Government is supporting LGBTIQI plus people to stand. And that specific cheer quad is helping lift the diversity in parliament too because, of course, it's not all about just older, educated white women like me. We want diversity of women, non-binary people to match the old white blokes as well, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to sort of probe you a little bit about that. Like is, is having a really good cheer squad just one of the must to kind of have in place if you're going to run? I think it is. So when I first ran, ironically, that was in 2006, I started my first campaign, got elected early 2007. And my big sister, Kathy, said, come on, I'll come down and help you door knock. And I'm like, eh, I don't really want to do it. She goes, no, come on, I'll help you. <laughs> and then it flipped a couple of years later when she was yeah. standing in 2013, I was helping her door knock. So that's that nice. So having sisters, fantastic. If you've got supportive sisters, and I mean, you know, sisters from another mother as well, your cheer squad yeah. to campaign. And then when you do get elected, the amplifying of your voice, the ally there, there's someone that stops the man to interrupt you and says, excuse me, Bill, you didn't let Julie finish. Can we hear what she's got to say? Or I think Rose has got a really important um, experience on this issue. Rose, can we hear from you? So that amplifying allies in the chamber really, really is important. And a bunch of girlfriends that you can go home to winch when you've had a really tough meeting as well. That that was my, yeah, book, I, my book club crew, you know. Yeah. I've, I've been reading your book, the Get Elected book, um, which actually I can't show on the screen because it's a podcast, um, but one of the things that, aside from it just really stepping through, you know, the questions to ask yourself before you run, but I was flicking through it again this morning and the section that talks about, you know, yeah, your, your kind of cheer squad and getting someone to do things like uh, help with domestic chores, drive you to and from events, um, cook you food, be your minder, and just thinking about how as women that can feel so confronting to do that asking for like, can you come and clean my house? Can you can you do this? But how I think that idea that, hang on, I'm not doing it for the I, I'm doing it for the we, and so we need to do this together. And does that mean that you not only is that a sort of mental trick to allow you to get that support, but it also allows ownership of those people, you know, doing your dishes to really, when you win, whatever that win looks like, like share that share that win together. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a really good point. So it's not so much ownership. It's not like someone's going to tell you how to vote because they did your dishes. It's like we have changed the world together and not, not everyone's, Politics isn't for everyone, but everyone can help someone else. Now, witness, if, if you have a girlfriend that's going through a tough time, let's say 
postnatal depression or she's grieving something, you would be dropping lasagnas off even if they're tofu, plant-based lasagnas and she's a vegan. You'd be doing that (laughs) at her doorstep. You'd be saying, I know you have to go and visit your elderly parents. Let me pick the kids up for you. We're so good at helping other women and other people. Yet if you do this mind flip and go, well, what if I was to ask for help for myself? Somewhere in there it's like, Exactly what you were saying, Millie's like, oh, but am I being up myself? Well, how will they judge me? And that mind flip is actually it's not, not me, it's for the cause. I'm asking them to help me rather than door knocking, can they do uh, pick my kids up from swimming on Thursday night because I have to go to a candidate's forum. So it's actually that, again, back to the we. And I think I've observed that in some of these uh, independent campaigns, how effective the women are on focusing on the we. Together we're doing this. There's always something someone can do to help in a campaign. Door knocking's not your thing. Sticking a core flute's up, not your thing. The core flute, the post in your front gate. Your thing might be, um, in, in India, it was making orange bunting, those funny square flags to stick around Um the Indi makers were the craftspeople that made great stuff or people that did care packages on the booths on election day, dropping off cakes and flowers to the teams that were staffing the booths. Everyone could do something as part of a movement to lift women in politics in this country. It's not just running. And I, I love that that bringing in the art and everything with some work we've done recently around the public good, we heard really clearly from people across the country that they wanted to be able to connect to people in place to care and be cared for and to contribute. And I love that that narrative that you're talking about is starting to bring in, like making bunting is a really important active contribution. It's an act of care and it's an act of connection to community. And I, I love that it's both um, <clears throat> politicising kind of the arts in some way, but also valuing the arts as essential to who we are as a community and how we how we work and how we govern. So it's I find that really exciting. Yeah, and I and want to pick up on that. Sorry, go go for it, Ruth. Oh, the Mon for Ryan, Mon Ryan for Kuyong had beautiful murals and things like that. And it's, everyone's got something to give. And oh, I was going to say with the Women for Election courses that I run with Licia, they're called Equip. And we we run them every month and they're sold out. We've put 2,000 people through those courses. And I'd say about a third of the women and non-binary folk that come along to them are there to support another woman. So, and it's to give them the skills because you've got to, you can't just put a chair together. You've got to actually look at a map and get an Allen key. So it's to give you the skills of how to build a campaign. Yeah. So wonderful. Instead of a flat pack, we help you build a campaign. And there are links to those in your show notes, guys, if you um, if you want to check those courses out for you or for a woman that you know who's awesome and wants to think about this. And, you know, I also want to think about like politics is not just something that happens at election day and then we move on. It It is a, you know, for some people, for better or for worse, you know, a 365 day thing of of being part of a democracy and having a voice and contributing and connecting. And so, you know, I think the voices for and the community independence movement have also shown us that we can keep this momentum going beyond an election. And I would love to hear your thoughts about how we do that this time. Like we don't want this election to be a flash in the pan. And then I don't think there's any going back. I think like what you talked about with your local council, like people just don't go back from that. They don't go back to just, you know, one type of person who gets to be heard and that's it. 
Um, so I'm not worried about going backwards so much, but I would like to keep going forwards. You know, I would like to keep this momentum building of this is a normal thing and we can bring community and democracy closer together and women closer to power. And do you have any advice for how we keep that community voice and women's momentum going now that we have had this election? How do we keep people involved? Oh, that's that's such a great question, Lily, because, you know, I guess some people think uh, elections are like grand finals and they come around once a year, but politics in our wonderful democracy is a gift that keeps on giving in Australia. There's always an election on at any one time. So Tassie local government elections are coming up. Victorian state elections, and then there's New South Wales, and then there's Victorian local, like there's always an election. So you can think about if I'm not going to stand, who can I help? And if I'm going to stand, what are the issues? So at the moment, the Victorian state government is running a program called um, Women Leading Locally, and people can apply for a fellowship there, a leadership fellow fellowship. I'll give you the details of that as well. And even though those elections are two, two years away, it's really good to start thinking early. So thinking about running or supporting someone, thinking of joining a local group. There was a fantastic group in um, Melbourne called um, Grandmothers for Refugees, and they would protest outside the government's offices, I think once a week, in their purple, and they kept going in the cold and the rain. So join a group that's... Uh, focused around whatever your thing is. It might be, you know, the Uluru Statement from the Heart. It might be greater advocacy for uh, climate action. Whatever it is, join it. And then the third area I would say is keep your voice going. So that's holding your local member accountable to the things you believe need to happen, whether they're from a major party or an independent. Hold them accountable. Keep activating your community around the issues that matter, whether that's infrastructure for lack of a hospital or you think there's been poor planning choices, keep activating, form a group and, yeah, be an agitator. We can all be shit stirrers in our own ways, <laughs> writing letters to the local paper, calling up on call, talkback radio. You will, you will notice now I've mentioned this, most of the talkback radio callers are men. So having a woman's voice there and going, actually, I don't believe what Bill just said. I don't think <laughs> that blah, blah, blah. Let's hear your voice. Let's hear Beryl from Bo Morris, you know, rather than Bill from Bonang all the time. Can we do that? Can we bring up Talk Back Radio and just put your voice out there? It's one small step, but hundreds of thousands of people will hear your voice that way. And I think that's such a powerful point, <clears throat> just that visibility. And, you know, I'm talking to you, Ruth. I just feel I'm getting this, like, great excitement down the line of, like, here's this woman, like, you're both ferocious and kind is something that I, I would, you know, I can see that if if you were training someone to run, you know, you'd, you'd be serious. Like, are you getting serious or not? But also understanding the context. And I think that's a really powerful combination to to bring but seeing you, hearing you talk about this is like, yeah, you you broke open the door in your local area by being a visible woman in that space. You know, someone else who isn't going to do that but is going to call Talkback Radio is, like you say, taking up space and I don't think we should underestimate that. That's that right. power of visible leadership is a good reminder for all of us on all the levels. I think that's my call to action is start using your voice and support someone else. 
everyone can do that, yeah? Start using your voice, support someone else, take up space. Um, Ruth McGowan, honestly, it is such an inspiration to talk to you. I feel so fired up and so proud. And when I think of the ripple effects from that McGowan family to what is going out around the country right now, I hope that you are just extremely proud of the examples that you have created, um, the work that you've done, the way that you've done it with joy and heart and um, integrity. Like I think that, you know, I've seen a lot of the cynical, oh, be your best self. It's a nice slogan. And it's like, no, there are people who are actually living that and you are one of them. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your time with us today. It has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you so much, Lily and Millie. It's been wonderful. And I do just have to give you a preview of these nails. Uh, I, like, and I want the nails. Fabulous? I want the nails. Fabulous? <laughs> they are so fabulous. So, I guess that's a little thing. If you're lacking confidence, um, just fling it up, baby. Just put on put on a scarf, put on a little lippy, if that's your thing, and get your nails done. And you will go out there because whoever you are, whatever we do as women, if we're not doing it, do you know who's going to be doing it? pale stale males so and we've we've had enough of them it's time they've for had us a good turn and have and our bling yeah and our boys and our beautiful skills and experiences to step in and claim our space and now we're going to be so fired up with all these amazing women in parliament we're going to go why not yeah look at them go we yeah. can do it too why not that's so exciting why not yeah. well thank you everybody for listening today thank you ruth mcgowan for your beautiful story and time and example and we'll see you This has been The Remakers, a podcast by Australia Remade. We celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and cultures at the very heart of what it is to be Australian. That is 60,000 plus years as the oldest continuing civilization on Earth. I'm recording my part of our chat from Muinina country in Lutruwida, Tasmania. And I record from Dara country, which is just north of Sydney. Our deepest respects to the elders and traditional custodians of these lands and waters. This podcast would not be possible without the talents of the incredible Anna Wilson, our producer. You can learn more about Australia Remade, sign up to get emails and join the community of remakers over on our website. That's australiaremade.org. And if you love the show, please rate and review on iTunes. If you want to send us your ideas or thoughts for future episodes or just share something that's on your mind, you can email us at podcast at australiaremade.org or give us a call. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for all that you do and for being part of this community. We'll see you next time.